This evening's reading is from Exodus chapter 12, which can be found on page 68 in the Church Bibles. So that's Exodus 12 on page 68. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till the morning. If some is left till the morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast. From the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day, for seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it, must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Whether you, wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. 
Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded, Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, where they were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt, because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have brought may eat it after you have circumcised him, but a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies to both the native born and the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. This is the word of God. Thank you, Hannah, for reading uh, to us. Just turn up to it. And if you're new or visiting, uh, we're working through 
the Bible story, uh, the key events. And coming this evening to Exodus chapter 12, so please do keep it open uh, in front of you. And the subject is blood. And I'm not sure what comes into your mind when I say that. Some here may be feeling a bit queasy, as blood is normally hidden from our sight, safely sealed in our arteries and veins, circulating steadily and silently for the most part. But when it's visible, when it's been shed or extracted, it's often vividly and messily apparent. And so shocking, in fact, that my eldest faints at the sight of it. And yet there are over 350 references in the Bible to blood, and over 200 of these are contexted by death and violence. So there must be a spiritual significance. And we'll come to that. But let's start off with a simple reminder of what we learned at school, whether that was GCSEs or O-levels a bit longer ago. A question for you, what is the function of blood? Transporting oxygen, that's right. Our blood carries oxygen from our lungs to all parts of our bodies. It's what keeps us alive. So we might say that blood is the very breath of life. What else does blood do? do. <laughs> okay, well, we must have some... some. Mm, lots of technical things it does, but there's one other thing it does. The basics. O-level. Talk about O-level. Carries the waste away, doesn't it? Carries the leftovers from all the far reaches of our bodies to our kidneys where the toxic waste is filtered out. And if it didn't do that, then the poison might kill us. And this biological view, uh, way back from O-level, is not so different from the biblical view of blood. So if it's helpful for you, keep this life versus death nature of blood in mind as we go. And here's a few examples. Uh, Leviticus chapter 17. Don't turn these up, I'll just give them to you. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 23 says, the blood is the life. And in the same way as blood carries the oxygen of life for us. The Bible speaks of God's spirit breathing life into all things. So blood represents life. And by contrast, the shedding of blood, especially violently and perhaps unsurprisingly, represents death. Think of the blood of Abel that cried out from the ground to God when he was murdered by his brother Cain. And yet there's so much more to blood than life and death, especially the blood of Christ, which Paul refers to in almost every one of his letters, and Peter describes as precious. So our primary aim tonight is not only to understand blood, but to see it as precious, not something we recoil from, but something that we're drawn to, not in a morbid way or a depraved way, but with joy and bursting with song. And to do that, uh, we're going to study Exodus chapter 12 from three perspectives, which will come up on screen now. For each One of these will consider what God is teaching us from the passage directly, as well as how it links to the life and death of our Lord Jesus, and then together how we might apply those in our lives tonight and going forward. But before we dive in, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, which illuminates your character and very being, including your precious blood. Teach us more about you and stir our hearts to praise and worship. Amen. First then, let's consider if and why 
the Israelites had any need uh, for blood. And if you turn with me, the answer to that question is in the first part of verse 12 on page 68, which echoes uh, verse 5 of chapter 11, which described the tenth plague that was going to strike Egypt. Let me read it for you. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. So the Lord is going to pass through Egypt and kill every firstborn person and animal. And of course, the Israelites are in Egypt too. And so they would also suffer from this terrible plague, except for what God says in verse 13. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. Somehow this blood is going to save every firstborn Israelite from death. But it's actually a lot more than that in here, so we need to look at it in detail. Uh, so go back to verse 1. It begins with God speaking. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt. And these first uh, 10, 11 verses, the Lord is giving them instructions before the Passover. And we know that it's before the Passover because they're to choose a lamb and then keep it for four days. So there's too much actually packed into these 10 verses to cover it all. But let's skim through them and let's pick up shall we, a few of the key points. In verse 2, we learn that what is about to happen is so important that God resets the Israelites' calendar for them. A new calendar is about to come into effect. Verse 3, the lamb is to be taken in for four days so that they could get to know it and care for it. This sacrifice isn't just the lamb amongst many in a field. This lamb is personal. The families need to know that the lamb is innocent and that it is dying to save them. Verse 4, make sure there's enough to go around for everyone and make sure that nothing is wasted. Verse 5, a one-year-old lamb or goat, a spotless and without blemish, should be chosen, which is maybe where we start to connect this with Jesus, as we'll see shortly. Verse 6, slaughter the lamb at twilight. Remember, the Israelites were working long days in Egypt. Um, but in God's providence, also as it's the 14th of the month, it's a full moon, so there would be light to see even at twilight. And verse 7, take the blood and put it around the doorframe, the top and sides. And if you flick across the page to verse 22, Moses picks up and elaborates with some more details, instructions. Use hyssop to paint the blood on the doorframe. So this is an act of purification, as we know from the sacrificial system and the rites set out in Leviticus and in Numbers. But fortunately for us tonight, Exodus predates that. So we have no priests, we have no altar. And so this sermon is a lot simpler and maybe a lot shorter because of that. Moses also tells the people not to go outside, not to leave the houses because it's not safe. And then he tells them, if you do all that, in verse 23, let me... Read it. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Going back across the page again to verse 8, the Lord's instructions move on to the meal itself. Verse 8, serve it with bitter herbs, and got mint sauce then, and useless bread. Verse 9, all the meat is to be roasted over the fire, not raw or boiled. And in verse 10, don't leave anything. Eat it all or burn what's left over. And then 
slightly bizarrely, maybe you thought as, we, as it was read to us, verse 11, eat ready to go out with your cloak tucked in, with your sandals on and with your staff in hand. And I don't think, well, it's definitely not signaling the world's first takeaway meal, but what it is doing is heralding the freedom for the Israelites. And finally, notice in verse 11, the Passover and the blood is God's idea, not man's. There's plenty of sects and ritualist blood-worshipping cultures today, but those are not of God. No, his instructions are here at the end of verse 11. Let me read that. Eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So the blood would save the Israelites on the night of the first Passover. But what about after that? What about in Jesus' day? What about now, today? You see, the blood of the animal acted temporarily to turn away or deflect God's judgment on sin. And so the Israelites and later the high priest had to do this again and again, do this year after year. The inevitable judgment was delayed, but one day there would be a final sin reckoning, and that day was still to come. The same judgment would fall as it did in the flood. Never again a flood, thank the Lord, as we've seen in Libya this past week, just how devastating it can be in a small area. But still judgment and death, the just penalty for our sins against God, must come. As it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, indeed, There is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And so because everyone has sinned, because you and I have sinned, we need something or someone to save us from the righteous judgment of God. And that's where the blood comes in again. Not the blood of an animal, but the blood of Jesus Christ. So our need for the blood today is the same as it was for the Israelites, to save us from God's righteous judgment. And we know The blood of Jesus will do that, as we'll come on to. But for the Israelites and for us, uh, God tells them in verse 13. Let me just read that. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. So not a sign for God, but a sign uh, for us. And the blood of the Passover lamb is both a sign of our sin and a sign of God's faithfulness to his people. And Can I say, if you've never recognised that sign, tonight will be a good night to do so. Let's move on now to the power of the blood, what it did and what it can do. And let me just read verse 29. You can follow it in your Bibles by way of context. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. The Egyptians and their pharaoh, who had ignored God's warning signs, the nine preceding plagues were now powerless as God's judgment fell on them. Years earlier, the Egyptians had slaughtered the Israelite children, a whole generation except for one child, Moses, who God saved. And now God's angelic army set about the work of judgment, slaughtering the firstborn of each family from the prisoner to Pharaoh himself. And as Isaiah 40 says, every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. You see, there's no difference in God's eyes between the mighty 
and the lowly when the glory of the Lord is revealed. And so Pharaoh and his people are left wailing and mourning as we read in verse 30. But at the same time, God's wrath is turned away from the Israelites, just as his curse was turned away from Adam and even fell instead of the ground, though they suffered for their sin. And until the hope that God promised them was fulfilled first in Noah's day, as he was rescued from the flood with his family and the rather large menagerie by sheltering in the ark, all in God's covenant love. And in Exodus 12, we see more clearly how God diverts judgment from his people. The blood brushed across the doorframe was a sign that death has already come to this house. The lamb has borne the curse and absorbed the judgment that would otherwise be for the Israelites. Not that the Israelites were sinless, but the judgment for them was stayed. Unlike the lambs that evening, Jesus had a choice and he chose to die for us in our place. A gift of grace from God given out of his great love and mercy for us. Jesus, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist prophesied when he saw Jesus, the one who was declared innocent by Pontius Pilate, the very judge who was to condemn Jesus to death. And as confirmed in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus was a lamb without blemish or defect. So the sign that God pointed out to the Israelites and the sign that he's teaching us tonight is that it's the blood we should be focused on and not the blood of the Passover lamb because that was a sign, but the actual precious blood of Christ. Because as we reminded ourselves earlier in our theological biology lesson, as the toxic, poisonous sins of our hearts and lives is soaked up in him, as Jesus takes all of our sins into his own body, he has become sin and is therefore subject to the full wrath and judgment of Father God. As he taught his disciples at the Last Supper at the dawn of the New Covenant, and as we remembered this morning in communion, Jesus' body was broken for you and me. At the same time, though, gloriously, Jesus' shed blood was full of the spiritual oxygen of life that we need to live. It poured out for, for us on the cross as the soldier's spear pierced his side, mixed with water, which proved it was in the agony of love for us that Jesus died. And his blood was totally free from sin. And so that's why we shouldn't hold back. That's why we should take the plunge and why we can sing and rejoice tonight in the precious blood of Jesus. So the power of the blood of Jesus provides not only deliverance for us, as the blood of the Lamb provided deliverance for the Israelites from God's wrath, but also purification from the stains of our sin. And this is not just a temporary cleansing. This is not something we have to do year after year. It's a power wash for all time, and that is truly staggering. And again, if that's a cleaning that you know you need in your heart, then why not ask Jesus for that tonight? And with that in mind, we can turn to our third heading, the result of the blood. Three things, redemption, which is freedom from slavery, reconciliation, and remembrance. 
Before this day, the Israelites were a wandering tribe. And then they were immigrants, and then they were slaves. And now, fulfilling God's promise to Abraham from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, they're going to be born as a nation en route to God's promised land. Yes, traveling through the wilderness for a few years, but with God living amongst them as we do today. And as God bought them freedom from slavery in Egypt after 430 years, as we read in verse 40, a time that started with Joseph serving in Pharaoh's court, joined later by his 11 brothers and his father Jacob and all of his brothers' families. Uh, That's how it started, but it turned sour and the Israelites were eventually held captive. So let's look again uh, at our passage to see what we can learn from how this happened. Picking up at verse 31, it was still night, but it was clear also that the danger had passed as Moses and Aaron were summoned to see Pharaoh, who told them to go to worship the Lord, taking all their people and their flocks and their herds. And then in verse 32, this slightly strange request from Pharaoh, and also bless me, although I couldn't read anywhere a sign that they had done so. And not just Pharaoh telling them to go, but all the Egyptians were urging the Israelites to hurry up and to leave. The Egyptians were in fear of their lives instead of being in fear of the Lord. The people and their Pharaoh blind to their own sin and God's sign of blood in their midst. And as it turns out, it was a good thing that the Israelites were dressed and ready to leave. And also that it was a full moon as they left at night. As we read in verse 34, loaded with enough dough to make probably a few million pitta breads. And that wasn't the only dough they left with, was it? Because the Egyptians handed over their silver and their gold and their clothing just as God had ordained, as we read in verse 35 and 36. And then what followed in the Exodus was really quite remarkable. As we read in verse 37 and verse 38, it was a huge number of people, over 600,000 men, So maybe two, two and a half million or more people, plus their livestock, plus their plunder. But none of this the Israelites could claim by themselves. Let me read from verse 41 and 42. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord had kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. So this was the Lord's doing. He was the one who kept vigil for them. And also note in verse 50, at the end of our reading, let me just read it. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. So the deliverance was also linked to obedience. And with hundreds of thousands of lambs having paid the price for their redemption, the Israelites were rewarded with freedom and riches beyond compare. Now, we may not have been captives uh, for 430 years, but all of us were held captive by our sin against God and against our neighbours. And however hard we tried, there was no escaping it. And so we also needed to be rescued, which seemed impossible, didn't it? Because we're wired, as the Egyptians were, for disobedience, to ignore God's calling, and so again, that's where Jesus comes in. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
uh, verses 18 and 19 help us again as it shines a light on the picture that we see in Exodus 12 and it illuminates it. Let me read those verses. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. And so we see clearly what Christ a lamb without blemish or defect has done for us. He has redeemed us. He has rescued us from the empty way of life just as the Lord rescued the Israelites from their empty way of life, enslaved in Egypt. And it's not just freedom. The shed blood of Christ also brings reconciliation. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And as a result of God's spirit of life lives in us. And all of this, I think, adds up to an ocean of grace as we sang or will sing. Um, And precious here is not just an adjective, but Jesus' blood is infinitely precious because it doesn't just defer God's righteous judgment. It's not a temporary solution. It's final and forever. And so please, again, if you're living that empty life still far off from the living Lord, Ask Jesus to redeem you and reconcile you to himself because there is no other way uh, to be saved. Finally, remembrance. Let me read back over the page, verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And so in appointing the Passover For generations to come, God gave the Israelite people something to remember, something to celebrate, as we do today with communion, in remembering the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. And the sign is not the cross, that's where it happened. The sign is the body and the blood, and the bread and the wine, as we know it. And aren't you thankful for the genius of Jesus in substituting wine and grape juice for the blood around the table? But we need to just ask ourselves, don't we, why are the Israelites to remember this? Well, in verse 17, we read it was because it was on this very day that I, that God brought them out of Egypt, that God rescued them out of slavery. And that is reinforced in verse 42, where they're commanded to honor the Lord by keeping vigil as he had done for them. And this celebration uh, for the generations would occur in every first month of the year, from the 14th to the 21st um, day of the month. This seven-day feast without the yeast, or the festival of the unleavened bread, as it's called, is also a sign of their belonging to the Lord. And hence, no one outside of Israel, God's chosen people, could join in the celebration. Yet, amazingly, if you flick back and read verse 44 and verse 48, God himself extends the invitation to foreigners as they are able to join God's people and belong to the Lord if they and their families covenant in circumcision. Let me just read verse 49. 
The same law applies to both the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. And so God opens up the community uh, of belonging to him, to those from outside of his chosen people, the Israelites. And that's true for us today, isn't it, with the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, which we celebrate in communion as outsiders we have been redeemed and reconciled to God brought from far away into his family. And then finally, in verses 24 to 25, Moses commanded the Israelites to obey these instructions also when they entered the promised land, which wouldn't happen, as we said, for quite a while. But to keep passing on this good news, this message of redemption on to their children, let me read verses 26 and 27. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Again, it's the same for us. This gospel message of redemption and reconciliation is for all who trust in the blood of Christ for their deliverance and their cleansing from sin. And so, in conclusion, we started with a question about blood, thinking about our natural fear and revulsion, revulsion of it. But I hope you can see now that Jesus' blood is precious because it's worth infinitely more than all of those perishable silver and gold things because it's filled with the very breath of life by God's spirit. The oxygen we need from his blood shed and separated from his sin-soaked body. Can you see why it's so precious? Can you see why our hearts might be changed to want it and to embrace it? Why we might be so joyful and sing about it? Why Robert Lowry in 1876 wrote these words, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so finally, by way of application, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or you've not appreciated that you might need to be trusting in the blood of Christ to save you and to set you free, please do come and chat to me or to Lisa after the service, and we'll help you pray for that. If you're a regular here and might call yourself a Christian if people ask you, but have never taken the plunge into the fount, I'd urge you to pray this prayer too. And if you are a Christian saved by the precious blood of Christ, then please do sing out our final song with great joy, thanking the spotless risen Lamb for what he has done for you. And don't just be reminded of what he's done. Witness to others who are facing this judgment. Make known this grateful, great gospel news. For you know it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Amen.